Turn to James chapter 2. I want to talk tonight on this subject, and it's about faith. Now, lest anybody say, you know, we've heard a whole lot around here about faith. Let me say again for the fifth or sixth time that our young folks are coming into all of this. What they didn't probably get, I'd like for them to get it. Amen, because this message is vital. Remember this about faith. The one thing that Jesus said when he returns that he's looking for is faith. Luke 18, 8. The one thing he said that pleases him, I don't care what else you do, there's one thing he specifically said that pleases him, and that's faith. We all know that faith comes by hearing, and he said there's only one thing in life that is necessary. That's quite a statement. When you think of all the things the Bible says, when Jesus said only one thing is necessary, and that's to hear the word of God. Remember Mary said at his feet, this message of faith is essential. It is necessary. As I said last time, we are sanctified, set apart unto God by faith. You've got to believe you are. You're justified by faith. We walk by faith. We receive from God only by faith. James 1. Everything revolves around faith. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe. It's all about faith. It is vital, and yet it is so neglected and a subject that very few people in the church know very much about because it has never been a big, vital, necessary point. It's just a word we use in Christian language. You know, everybody has faith. My friend today told me about my friend that we prayed about. He has tremendous faith. And I thought, well, if he does, then he'll be all right. But what they mean by faith is not what the Bible teaches faith is. But that's okay because there's so many like that that it really doesn't matter what the Bible says is faith because everybody has a concept or an idea of it and it suits them. In fact, people are usually upset when you teach what the Bible means. There's hardly any Christian group in the world, any branch of Christianity, there's a lot of Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, right on and on and on and on. Almost nobody cares what you preach as long as you don't explain what you mean. You can use the language of the Bible in any church. That's the middle of the road, we call it. You stay in the middle of the road with regard to spiritual language and you can preach anywhere in the world. But when you get specific and you begin to define what those things mean, teach, that's what teachers are for. That's why they're not real popular. But when you begin to teach the word, you begin to explain it to them, then the picture, the image of what God wants comes to a person's mind and it brings guilt because you realize that you've neglected that, you're not doing that, you don't really care that much about it and you didn't know that. And sometimes people don't know things, go, praise God, Lord, help me do that. And some folks say, I don't like to hear that. So the one thing that God wants from everybody in this room, the one thing you better have when it's your turn, is faith. Not just the word faith and be able to spell it, but you better know what it is and what it means and how important it is. Now, before we get to James 2, remember last week I gave you a formula? All right, let me write it down again. This is what in a formula... My opinion, put it that way, what faith is. First, you start with W, which means the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. Jesus said, preach the word, because that's what God will use 
to excite your heart about what you can expect him to do. You can't dream up something to believe and expect God to honor that. It has to come from his word. Word plus, what's the S stand for? Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus said? When he comes, he will guide. That's right, he will guide you into all truth. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You cannot, by searching, find out God. I don't even know how many people believe this. I believe what God reveals to you is something that only he can do. I don't think you, by academic effort, can learn and know what the Bible means. I don't think you can understand it without the assistance and the work of the Holy Spirit. So that if there is no spiritual activity in your life while the word is coming at you, while you're reading it or hearing it or whatever, if there's no spirit workings when you're hearing that, it usually goes over your head or goes in one ear and out the other. Take, for example, an unsaved man who maybe wants to advance himself in the community by belonging to a church. You know, having that as part of his repertoire. And he's a church man. He doesn't really care that much about being a Christian, just the fact that he's where Christian people congregate, and therefore that's good. And so the Bible says that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit because they are spiritually discerned. Now, your Bible says that. Therefore, spiritual things are not able to be naturally understood. You can naturally memorize the Bible. You can memorize enough of it to preach a lot of sermons and go to mission fields, but just simply memorizing the word. But that doesn't mean you understand it because it's in the understanding of it that faith is born. Anybody can imitate somebody else. Anybody can act like they believe the Bible for a while. But you'll never live this life. You'll never be convinced by the Lord. You'll never be taken in by all of this until the Spirit of God opens your eyes to see it. It's Ephesians 1. May God grant to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. Remember Jesus said, I thank thee, Father, thou hast hidden these things from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. Peter said to Jesus, thou art the Christ. Jesus said back to Peter, flesh and blood did not show you this. This didn't come because you just really knew who I was. It was a revelation from the Lord. That is the basis for faith. God opening the eyes of a person and putting into a person's heart a piece of divine knowledge. In fact, you can't get saved without that. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men everywhere. Every man will have a chance. There'll be a moment for all of us. Maybe only one, but you'll have it. When God will break through all of your worldliness and all of your ugliness and sinfulness, and you'll have that moment where you see what you really are and who you really are, and your heart will admit he's altogether right, you're altogether wrong. Now, whether you're willing to do anything with it, I don't know, but it came. There was enough there to judge you. God will show every man their sins. Even as he said in Romans 1, the ones who have never sat in church, they have seen him in nature in a way that he revealed himself to them. 
what you do with it's another matter altogether. But I want to emphasize again, it is the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth of God's word. When he comes, he will show you what? Remember Jesus said, when the spirit of truth comes, he not only will guide you into all the truth, but he will show you things to come. How can we be ready for the end and know what's coming unless the spirit of God shows it to us and convicts us about preparation for it? Otherwise, we'll be like in the days of Noah. It'll be life as usual, and the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and we didn't have a clue. We didn't know he was coming. You could say, well, the preacher never told us anything about it, but God might say you weren't interested. So it really is important we take advantage of the opportunities that we get to come together like this, to let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Even pray before you get here. Lord, I've had a busy day. I've got busy things going on. I've got things I've got to do. But Lord, while I'm here tonight, I ask you to unhook me from everything that's leaning on me and open my eyes. Didn't the psalmist say this? Open my eyes to behold wondrous things from thy law. Make me to know thy truth. One of my favorite verses, Psalms 32, 80 said, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way wherein thou shalt go. Do that tonight. Do that tonight so when I walk out of here tonight, I will have gained something I didn't have before I got here. So, back to the formula. The word plus this work of the Holy Spirit equals what? A revelation. You thought I was going to say faith, but you were here last week, so you know better. The word plus the Spirit equals revelation. It doesn't mean you have faith because you understand what God said. Light can come to anybody for a moment. That doesn't mean you believe it, does it? How many sinners have heard the truth and rejected it? They might have acknowledged it, but they rejected it. And rejection is unbelief, disobedience. Now, you take this revelation here that God gives, and you add to that something else. What was the other thing? Your will. And what do you get? You get faith. Now, concerning faith, here's what happens. What if, in this formula here, way I can measure whether or not I'm truly believing, what if I have no word but some kind of a spiritual activity? Woo! But I don't know much about the word. Then what do you get? You get wildfire. You get fanaticism. A lot of people think you're fanatics. I know they think I'm one. But they forget that the one thing that makes us happy is the Word of God. Not just hearing it, but believing it. Anybody can hear it, but it's believing it that excites the spirit of a man. What if you have the revelation of the Word plus UB? What does UB stand for? Unbelief. unbelief, that's right. Well, if you have that and you hook that with unbelief, so what do you get? I have a revelation from God. Is it still in Romans 14, probably verse 23? He that knoweth, knoweth means God for sure shown it to you. You know something. He that knoweth to do, that's what the will is all about right here. He that knoweth to do good, but as an act of my will, a choice I make, but doeth it not. You could have, you just didn't want to. To him, it is what? 
Well, then you would agree with me tonight if I said the more God shows you, the more you're accountable. So that if you want to park your body in here twice a week, you're going to have to pay the price. Because if he shows you something, you're accountable. If you see something, you're accountable. We all are. Amen? That's good for us, though, because God wants us to be holy people. What does James 4, 17 say? Oh, that's it. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. What did Romans 14, 23 say? Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Then what is it that cuts us off from God? Wait a minute now, time out. Are you all so narrow that you think that God would cut you off because you refuse to act on a revelation that he gave? You think it's that narrow? Because your friends would say, what kind of God do you all serve? I think that's what the devil said to Eve when he said, you eat of that fruit, you're going to die. She said, he probably said, come on. God isn't like that. He wouldn't kill you because it's something he created which is good. He said it was good. He wouldn't kill you because you ate it. What kind of church you go to? And we all died because she fed into that. It's pretty narrow. I'd rather be narrow than to be a broad way and we all perish. I'd rather we fight this thing and deal with stuff in our life and put our hand at this plow and leave it there and all of that. So looking at all of this, and realizing that when God shows me something and I'm willing to do it, God will call it faith. Faith will be an act of my will to take God at his word. My will, I got one. This is how I live. These are my choices, my power of choice. This is his word. Faith is an act of my will to take God at his word. It doesn't make the word true. The word's true whether you believe it or not. It doesn't force God to do anything. You can't force it. All you're doing is setting yourself in agreement with the Lord, lining yourself up with him on his terms, and say, if God said it, it is so, I'm counting on him to do it. I'm counting on God. I'm accepting as true what is not revealed to my senses. And I'm going to act as though that is true as much as life in me as possible. I will be mocked. I will be spoken ugly about. I will be rejected, no doubt ousted. I may have trouble at home. I may have trouble at work. But God's going to clean me up and clean me out until I'm what he wants. And it all comes by revelation and a choice that you can make to take him at his word. Whether it's your money, it's your health, your body, your marriage, your children your fears tonight about things. I don't care what it is. There is nothing out of the limits or the boundaries of God. There is nothing too hard for God. There is nothing in Luke 1, 37, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Nothing is impossible with the Lord. And we sang the song, Draw Me, Lord. Well, I tell you what, he draws you right into his throne room. And when he introduces himself to you and you become acquainted with him, as Job says, acquaint now thyself with the Lord. As you draw yourself into him, or he draws you, and he begins to introduce himself to you. And he begins to reveal who he is to you. I've been thinking for a long time about teaching. There's some theological subjects that are so vital, so vital. The nature of God, for one thing. It's just so important 
for people to know who God is as he reveals himself, not some concept we've had in our childhood that people think he's like. We need to know him. But as he draws you in there, he begins to show you things about who he is. It's like tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And once you get a little of that, church is easy to go to. Laying down trash in your life is easy to lay down. Walking away from foolishness is easy to walk away from because there's something about God. For those who know him. There's something extravagant about God that just every need is met. There's nothing impossible. You know that he'll do whatever he said. And it started with a revelation of something in your life and you found you were able to count on it. And you did it and here you are. We're not through, but this is the journey that we're taking and God is good. So the question is tonight, is your faith dead or alive? Now James chapter two, let's begin with verse 14. James chapter two. What doth it profit, my brethren, Though a man say he hath faith, and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says unto him, Depart in peace, and be warmed, and be filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? What good was it? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, well, I have faith. And you may say, I have works. Show me your faith. That's a very important point in the Bible. Show me your faith without your works, and I will, by my works, show you my faith. You believe there is only one God? You do well. But the devils also believe, and they tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac, his son, upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. We see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit or breath is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Faith without works is like a body that doesn't breathe. No life in it. It's a body it's got the right picture, just doesn't live. Somebody once said, faith is the gasoline that makes a car run. A car without gas is just a car. You can admire it, but there's no profit in it. It won't take you anywhere. It doesn't do anything but take up space. But it absolutely accomplishes nothing. It's just a picture. It's an image. It's a beautiful thing to look at, a new car. But if it has no gas in it, it's a waste of your time. You'd be better off sitting in your house, sleeping in your bed, than you would sleep in a new car in the back seat. It's no good. Faith without work. Four times he said that. Verse 17 and 20. 
26 and I think verse 14, he says it four times. Faith without works is dead. Do you believe there's something to this? I really do. So I'm asking you the question, is your faith dead or alive? Now you ask most people, do you have faith? I doubt if you would ever find a church person anywhere ever in your whole life who would say no. They usually say this, well, yeah, I have faith. Of course I do. And by that, they mean this. I go to church, which means you have faith. I read my Bible. I teach a Sunday school class. I give money. I help with the repairs and the fixtures and the work day. I join our church at its retreats. I help lead little groups. I, yeah, I'm busy about church matters as much as I can. I, of course I have faith. You really think that's the way most people think? I do. I don't think some of them do. I think most of them do. They think that because they have faith, they attend and they've been baptized, and they like it. It obviously means that they have faith. But the problem is they're unwilling to act like the word is true. They're unwilling in the second thing on our formula here, they're unwilling to act like what the Bible says is true. Just one subject is talk about healing. I know it's very controversial, but so is this passage of scripture with who is saved and who's not saved. The Calvinists and the Arminians have been fighting over this verse for years. Arminians believe you can be lost and be saved and lost and saved. The Calvinists, which I would go with them, they believe when you're saved, you're saved. It's just that if you are saved, you got evidence that by doing something. If I say, well, I went to church, I held up my hand, I'm saved, praise God, but you live the way you've always lived, you're not saved. You don't have to be a scientist to know that. How would you make your calling and election sure if you did the same old things you used to do? There's nothing about your life that points to anything that ever happened to you. But when something really happens to you, doesn't the Bible say, old things are passed away? That says, behold, all things become new. It is a life lived by the revelation that you are willing to obey. If God said it, I will do it. I may not understand fully all the ramifications of this, but I'm willing to act like this is true. Let me ask you an easy question. Are you willing to act like you're saved? I don't have to act like I'm saved. I am saved. Well, then, if you really are saved, is it quite possible that we'll know it? If you kick the dog and holler things, could we assume that nothing's really changed in your life? I don't mean kick the dog real hard. I just mean, you know, get him off the porch sometime, but uh, you're still like you used to be. You see, there, something's got to happen. That's where the will comes in. You can have all the revelation. You can sit here until you're old and gray-headed. But at some point, if you're going to please God, you're going to have to start living on his terms. You can't just say, oh, 30 years ago, I held up my hand, therefore I'm going to heaven. I don't think so. There's one who's going to measure you by your works and by your fruits. I'm secure. I believe I'm as secure as a man can be in his salvation. I know what happened to me on June 30th, 1968, at five minutes to 12. But I also know that there's a plow. There's a life to be lived. And you've got to put your hands on there, and you've got to prove that you mean it by living this life. This is what we call being 
faithful to God. The right interpretation of faith is probably faithful, which means obedient, which means a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. We've got to act like the word is true, but most people won't act like the word is true. The people who squawk about things that I've taught through the years, maybe about divine healing, there's other things too, but I know they have faith. Not only do they have faith in the pop machine, the Coke machine, we've been through that enough. They have faith in what is written, don't they? Deposit a certain amount of money, push a button, and enjoy yourself. Now, they do that without seeing it. So they know they got faith. And I think it's pretty common that probably all of us in here at one time have been to the doctor's office and he's looked at us and we feared the worst and he said it's okay. Or we just didn't feel good and he probed and poked. I don't know why when I was coughing, I ever looked in my ears. But anyway, you know, they look at your body in all these various ways and then he gives you some kind of a compound. I'm thinking of old Doc Marshall when I was a kid. They had two big brown bottles in his office. You got one or the other. <laughs> and when he gave you that or you got a prescription, you went to a drugstore and you filled it out. Do you have faith it'll work? What if people went to a doctor's office and treated the doctor the way they do Jesus Christ? What if they went into his office like this? He said, hi, what's wrong with you? Mm. Do you need something? Yeah. Well, let me look at you. All right, as long as you're not, uh, you know, squirrely or something, go ahead. You know, they look at you. Yeah, I've been there. I know what that's like. Or thumping on your back. Take that thing out and say, well, let me do this. And he asks you a few questions. He gives you something. You say, thank you. You go to the drugstore, you give that scribble to a druggist, and he takes that shorthand that you gave him, and he goes back in the back. You don't have a clue who that man, you don't know him, I didn't. And he comes out with two bottles, puts those on a bottle, he hands them to you, and the bottle says, take two pills every three hours or one spoonful three times a day. Do you do it? If you pay 40 bucks for that bottle, I guarantee you will. But do you do it? You know why you do it? You know why people do it? Because they believe it'll work. And yet when they hear what God has to say, I don't know about that. Can you imagine how long a doctor would put up with people if we treated him like Jesus? He made doctors. He made trees and hills and horses and carts and airplanes and moons. He made everything. He can fix anything. He proclaims himself as beyond what you can think bigger than your loftiest thoughts about him. He's bigger. His left eye to his right eye is three billion light years. So who said that? Somebody told me that once. <laughs> said he was up there. He was caught out of his body, went to heaven. 1970, he came back and wrote it in a little booklet and I met him. He was crying while he was telling. He was an old man getting ready to die. Angel was carrying him up to heaven, he said. He said, it was just as real as if I was right now talking to you all. And the angel said, God is bigger. Just from his left eye to his right eye, it would be like three billion light years in travel. Just as a way of trying to measure the vastness of God. 
course, it doesn't have to be three billion light years. Just who he is. He made the universe by saying, be, and if you go to that creation museum up in Cincinnati, at one of those little theaters you set in at part of the program, Earth is so little in the solar system, it's not even a globe. There's all these big planets and stars and the universe, and you can see just gillions, septillion, quadrillions, hoop, billions <laughs> of stars and galaxies, and the Earth is so little, they can't even show it because it's too little. The star, that's how many thousands of times bigger than the earth. The star is so little in contrast, everything else, can't even see it. And God had one son to send to one place, and in all of that vastness, he sent him to the earth. Everybody's still trying to find out who else lives out there. You knock on that door the rest of your life, ain't nobody home out there. There's only one, only begotten son. He went one place, died once, it was earth. And Earth is so tiny in the space that it's smaller than a speck. And on this Earth are little specks so little you can't even describe them, and that's you. Imagine the creator of all of that out there stooped all the way down to something that can't even show up on the big screen and knows you by name. When I consider the heavens and the handiwork of God, the psalmist said, it is beyond me. Listen, that's who is revealing to you not only who he is, but what he is willing to do for you no matter what. He's willing to show you all of those things. And if people would just believe that, but they don't. But they're unwilling to act like the word of God is true, but they'll act like what a doctor said is true. I told this story so many years ago, and you've heard them all again, but remind me, I'm not getting old. It's just that these are good stories. <laughs> the girl's name was Cindy. She worked in our office in a Christian church. She didn't go to that church, which is a pretty good idea, but she worked there, and she was a secretary. Well, they don't get so nosy like that. And I was practicing one day preaching. I was going to go out a couple of nights, and so I thought I'd go and try a sermon on her. And I just said, Cindy... If the banker drove up here today and he came in this office and he said, Cindy, here's a check for $5,000. It's got your name on it. You see it? And she looked at it and said, wow. I, he said, I'm going to give it to you at 5 o'clock. I'll be back in this parking lot at 5 o'clock with this check and I'm going to give it to you. She might say, why? I said, because I want to. But I don't deserve it. I didn't say you deserved it. I didn't say you earned it. I'm going to give it to you because I want to. I said, Cindy, how would you act between now and 5 o'clock? And that big grin, <laughs> I said, would you be happy the rest of the day? I mean, yeah, I would. Why? Because I know something's going to come at 5 o'clock. I'm talking about faith. And I said, how do you know it's going to work? And she said, and I'll add to it, because of who said it. The banker said it. It's not somebody on the street walker. I'm talking about the banker who runs the bank, who always has a towel and always real sober looking. The banker, the man whose reputation is supposed to be untarnished, he's going to give me a check at 5 o'clock. He revealed it to me. And they start acting like they got something they can't see. And yet, I didn't say this to her, but you could take that dear soul and set her in a church on a good night 
and she wouldn't remember what you said when she got out the door because they're not interested. That's the problem today I see in Christianity. It's not that God isn't speaking, he is. The people are too busy. We got so much clutter. I don't mean vile things, I just mean that we don't come to church and unhook like we should. We just let things build up on us. So let me ask you a question. Is your faith dead or is your faith alive? Well, we gotta define all of this if we're gonna deal with it. So what do you mean by dead faith? Well, our text says in verses 14, 17, 20, and 26, that faith without works is dead. Now, if I tell you tonight I have faith in God, but it's not evidenced by deeds, by toil, by something that is in response to what he said, then how do you know I have faith? Well, I, I'm just, I'm telling you I have faith. Remember what he also said about the person in verse 19? The person who says, I have faith. What does he say? How does he come back with that in verse 19? He said that the devil believes, doesn't he? Yeah. The very things you say you believe, the devil believes. If you said, well, I believe God. I believe the Bible from cover to cover, and I believe he's everything he said he was, and I believe nothing's impossible. I, I believe it all, brother. And yet when the time comes to prove ourselves, we call them trials, but when the testing time comes, you'll be surprised at how many people really don't believe God or they're afraid that he really won't do what he said. They're uncertain. And out of fear, they draw back. And for those who say, well, I mean, nobody's perfect. God, you know what Jesus said to Peter about fear? Why are you fearful and afraid? You know, that night in the boat, well, I guess it was Peter in Mark 4. They woke him up. He was asleep. Remember that? He said, why are you so fearful? Then he said these, he said, how is it you have no faith? How can you be fearful and fretting? Here's the Son of God in your presence, and you're looking around at all the prognostications of the coming doom and all this. How can you be fearful if you belong to him? Did he not say he would take care of you? Did he not say he would bless you when you go out and when you come in? Did he not say that he will never leave it? Didn't he say this? Did he say, ask and you shall receive, that your turmoil may be full? <laughs> that your joy may, didn't he say that? Well, then why do we act, these are our works, our toil, this is our deeds. Why then do we act like that what the Bible says won't work and we're only comfortable in the insurance or the pills or the medicines or the loans of this world. Why is that the only reason we're comfortable? What has God failed to do to convince his people that he will do what he said? If he said, and he did, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Does that mean that he is a healing God? Does that mean that he could, that he might, but you can't be sure? Well, he said in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God are in him, Christ, yes and amen to the glory of God by us. The promises are to us. They're there for us to use, to grasp our faith. And when God brings them to pass, he's glorified by it. But we're so afraid they won't work. We're just afraid. 
I know how this works. I've been standing here a long time. Not half of my life, but close. We're getting there. I know how it works. It's just something about, I want this really, really bad, but boy, when the moment of truth comes, I, I don't want to fall apart. Well, you know, we don't have to fall apart. But back to the point, faith without works is dead. There's nothing glorious about being dead. Works are deeds. That's what the word works means. It's simply deeds. Remember Romans chapter 2 and verse 6 that God will render unto every man according to his deeds. God will render unto every man according to his deeds. The Amplified Bible says deeds and actions to back it up. It's what works means. Deeds and actions to back it up. Let me give you another example. What if I tell my wife? What if I say, I love you? Now, do women like to hear that? Yes. <laughs> I'm just doing it the other way. Do men like to hear their wives look them in the eye and say, I love you? Do men like that? Now, all the women are amen, and now I got to. Well, do they or not? If I said to my wife, you know, I believe I love you. She would say, well, you believe, why aren't you convinced yet? <laughs> say, well, you've been pretty mean here lately. I'm, I'm working on this thing, trying to get it rolling again. No, what if I said to her, I love you? Looked her right now and said, I love you. What if I did that? She would, like she is now, she'd be going like that. She'd be smiling. <laughs> she'd like it. But now what if, what if after I said that, I was rude, indifferent, insensitive, and somewhat disrespectful of her, like men can be. What would she think about what I just said? I love you. You know what she would finally say? Well, why don't you act like you do? You're acting like I'm in your way. You're acting like I clutter your life. You're acting like I'm just slowing you down and messing you up. If you say you love me, why don't you act like you love me? Do you love the Lord? Do y'all love the Lord? I said y'all for the tape crowd. Do y'all love the Lord? Do you act like it? You talk to him every day? You sing about him when you get in a singing mood? You don't have to have a good voice. Do you worship him? Are you glad you're here? There's got to be a way, if you say something as a Christian, something you believe, there's got to be something that evidences, or it's dead. Dead means meaningless. Without profiting, it'll talk about. What does it profit? I mean, if it doesn't profit, it's meaningless. If I said, I love you people, how could you know? Well, he preaches, I don't mean you love people. In most every church you know of has hired somebody to preach. They don't have to love you, they just have to preach. It's a job. It's a nine-to-five job. You get paid a salary. You perform and you function and you meet a duty that the board tells you you got to meet. And if you don't do it, they fire you because you're a hireling. If I was hired, I wouldn't have to love you. I love myself and I love my job and I want a better one when I get you all promoted good and I advance myself. I'm out of here. I don't really care what happens to you all. I'm for me. 
But if I love you, I'm not going anywhere else. Boy, I've tried to. <laughs> Had a couple offers, but I didn't. And if you love people, you have to show it some way. There has to be some way in your life you evidence what you believe. If you believe you're healed, you get out of bed and you start acting like you're healed. If you can. I've been there. I know how good a bed feels and a cover feels over a shivering body, only to have your wife come in and say, you do better fighting on your feet than you do on your back covered up. I have to get up and go to a house like this. And then act like, talk like, say it, speak the verses you believe, act like you're healed. You get up and live like what he said is true. It doesn't look like it, doesn't feel like it, but you believe it. You can't make it true by believing it. You believe it because it is true. You act like if you believe your child's going to be saved, you start thinking thoughts like that. Well, I'm believing God. What are you believing? I'm believing that this child of mine, son or daughter, God's going to touch their life and save them. How do you know he will? Well, I believe he will. I'm going to start talking to myself and to others. I'm just going to start saying, well, he or she is coming in the kingdom. Oh, are they? Yep. When? I don't know. Then they look at you like, oh, oh, you're one of them kind. My daddy said once, said, son, you need a new car. I said, I've already got one. He said, where is it? And I said, I don't know. I know what he thought. I mean, I'm not dense. When I told my daddy I had a new car, and he said, where is it? And I said, I don't know. I've asked God for it. Well, my daddy, being a Catholic, he'd never heard that before. That was alien talk. In fact, it's so alien that you have to assume it's a cult. It's a cultish way of talking because it's not orthodox. It's not ordinary Christian life as most people live it. God shows you something that it's not easy to get a hold of because you don't know anybody else that's ever done this, but if God said it, it's got to be true. So you say, amen. And then you say, I believe I have a better car. And I'd get in my car and it would drive crazy and do things. <laughs> the tires would go flat. I'm not exaggerating. The tires would go flat and there's no tire tool in the trunk. And you're showering in a hurry. And it's all a part of the big plan, the big test. I remember how close, and this God knows, how close one day I came pretty close to taking that tire tool, that thing is angled, bent wrong. It'll hurt your fingers every time you push it too hard. It goes right in the gravel. And mine did, and I was about that close to taking that tire tool through the back window as hard as I could, and finish that one and go to the front. That's just Hamilton, I guess, and just want to let her go. And I thought, the only reason that I don't is because that would not evidence that I'm trusting God and rejoice evermore, for this is the will of God. <laughs> it wouldn't be James 1, count it all joy when you fall into divers' inconveniences and trials, agonies and pains, skirmishes, circumstances, consequences. He said, count it all joy. But the point of it is, what do you believe? Is your faith dead? 
Do you evidence your faith when it's only convenient and, and it's easy, or do you act this way even though you're going to get talked about and persecuted when you do? The day you limp into the school, and everybody says, what's wrong with you? And God says, and the devil says, because you're going to say what one of these two are doing. You're going to either say that what God said is true and by his stripes you were healed, or you're going to say what the devil is saying, that you are not healed, you are sick, because you feel sick, you look sick, and you sound sick. In the natural sense of things, you are everything that you feel. But on the other side, God Almighty said, by his stripes, the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. Not might be, not could be, not ought to be, you were. It was done at the cross. Jesus redeemed me from the curse of the law at the cross. Now, either I believe that or I don't. If I don't believe that, I wish it was true. I hope it's true. And I might try this for a while, but if it doesn't work, I'm not going to be a fool. But then there's people who just say, I don't have any bridges behind me to fall back on. If it's not true, I guess I'm going to die. I don't know how close I've been to that. I don't think I've been quite that close. I don't know that you have to be there. But God wants you to abandon all your doubts and your fears and give up all your, ooh, by tomorrow, yesterday, just come to him and count on him to do what he said. Because if you can't, listen to me, if you can't, then he might say, well, your faith is dead. He's dead. Listen to this, verse 14 again. I'm going to read from different translations here. This is one that says, what is the advantage, my brothers, if someone is saying he has faith, but is not having works? Such faith is not able to save him, is it? We're talking about the big picture now about being saved. The CEV version. That must be a Catholic version, but contemporary, whatever, I don't know. But he says, my friends, what good is it to say you have faith when you don't do anything to show that you really do have faith. Can that kind of faith save you? My friends, what good is it for one of you to say that you have faith if your actions do not prove it? Can that faith save you? Let me make this point again. I've said this in the past, but let me say it tonight for record. No man can save himself. The business of saving a soul is the business of God. The new birth comes completely without anything that man can even do. It is God who causes a man to be convicted or a woman. It is God who works conviction in their life. It is God who, as a gift, gives repentance. It is God who finds a lodging place in your heart for the Lord Jesus, Christ in you, the hope of glory, your new creature's in Christ, if any man be, he's a new, okay. And you are born again and you're a new creature in Christ. You cannot do anything to make that happen. Not a thing. But here's what James says. If you now are in Christ, there is a life you live. A life that glorifies God. A life that is evidenced by what you do. 
And if you cuss and you drink and you're ugly and you treat people wrong and you won't pay your bills, there's no evidence of Christ in you. He doesn't do that. When Christ is in you, you are Christ-like. That's where we get the name Christian. And it is required for us to teach people that we live on his terms. Christianity has to be that. It has to be you live on his terms. And that's what it is. Look at verse 20, if you will. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Would the phrase vain man or vain woman, vain person, would that describe a person who is unwilling to trust God? A doubter? Think about this, because this is where we get warped in our thinking sometimes. What if the person who is called a vain man, who just is afraid to trust the Lord or one whose faith is dead, but let's say they're really busy. Let's say it's the preacher. They're really nice and really kind. They try very hard, regular in attendance, loyal, faithful to give, faithful to help, active in the Sunday school, whatever else the church might do as a group. They're there, and they're always helping. They're kind. They visit people in the hospital, and they do a lot of really good things. Could a man like that, a woman like that, be called a vain person? Now, hold on now. This is the growth we're talking about tonight. I mean, you can do a lot of things that you do, a lot of good things that people do, because in your view of things, that's what a Christian ought to do. And therefore, if I do that, I'm a Christian. But the only basis for being a Christian is faith in God. Not a belief that he exists and not a belief that he is and that he made the world. I'm talking about a life that is lived in obedience to him. And it's not taught much. It isn't. And we're certainly not exclusive to say that. I'm just saying this is not taught much. I don't remember ever hearing this all the years I was in the, the Christian church. The good people and not fine people and I'm not saying anything about them. I'm just saying that the mindset of people that I knew, my parents and their parents, was that this was just not an important thing. This wasn't just no big deal. That faith is just not a big thing that you have to do a lot of. You just have it naturally. But think this about a vain man. What makes us vain men? Here he talks about if your faith is dead, you're vain. But how did it get dead? What killed it? Why did it die if it ever was? Look in Ephesians 5, about a vain man. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 6. You see, I believe a vain man is a result of vain efforts. I think there is a demonic goal the devil has of making vain people out of good people, of making good people vain. But if everybody is vain and you're not by yourself, it's okay. Vain. You know what one dictionary said about the word vain in the New Testament word vain? Listen to it. It means empty with special reference to quality. The quality of your life is not there. It's all surface material. It's all talk. It's show. Let me talk to you about vain preachers, vain religious leaders. Not long ago, I saw there was a series of spiritual programs on I thought I'd try them all. Hit one, two, three, and didn't watch any of them long. 
but it seemed like some of them had this idea that in order for something to be real and be dynamic and be God moving, it had to be a huge, huge building. It cost at least $100,000 to build it. Or the stage did. Sunday school class is bigger than this church. They probably got committees bigger than this church. And the preachers, it's always a dynamic moment. Tonight, God. And it's always something special. Every time. Tonight, you're here tonight, and tonight, God is going to do something he's never done before. He spoke to me before I came out here tonight as I was praying, and God showed me when I was on my face, and I was crying for God. And he showed me that tonight, and all of that. You can do that if you practice. And people believe it. But it's empty. Verse 6, Ephesians 5. Let no man deceive you with vain, empty, useless, ineffective words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Let me ask you another question. I want you to think about it. Why do the children become disobedient? Because what they are taught says it's okay. You don't have to do all of that. Nobody's perfect. Have they ever said about us in this place, oh, over at that church, they think you have to trust the Lord. Article in the paper too many years ago said this church believes that we should trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not to our own understanding. <laughs> I'm thinking, I hope we're guilty. I hope that's what I'm accused of when it's over. Wouldn't it be great if the devil accused you? Oh, you're one of those people that trusts God with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, you acknowledge God. <laughs> you mean you all don't go to doctors? And I know most of you do. Y'all don't go to doctors? And what if you turn around and said, you mean having these promises, you don't trust the Lord? You mean having a book full of promises, you're not counting on God to heal you? Aren't you a Christian? Oh, boy, we're in a fight now. We're, we're doing it. You mean to tell me that you're a Christian and you're afraid to trust in Jesus Christ who died on the cross to give you richly all things to enjoy and you're scared that he won't? How did you get that way? Out there in plastic. How did you get like that? Who taught you those things? Who has subverted you? Remember that in the Bible? Who has subverted the hearers? Who has robbed you of a truth that eternally can set you free and now you can't get free because somebody's told you that it might not work and God doesn't want to do that? I'm talking about a fundamental church, one of the kind that KJV only leather-bound Schofield Bible Church. They tell you that God doesn't do half of what he does. It's another Jesus. And consequently, nothing is required of you except a witness you sit back thinking that heaven's going to be full of people just like you. I'll tell you what, there's a reason the words fear and trembling are in the Bible and why God magnifies verses like that. This is not a time for complacency. There is a time coming which you must be ready. Nobody's going to make you ready. You're going to be given an opportunity to ready yourself as a bride for her husband. And all you girls that are married, 
all you mamas and wives in here. What did you do before you married? The day of your wedding, did you just do this? I think I'll take a shower. No, I don't need, uh, uh, yeah, okay, I'll go in here and get in the shower. Where's my flip-flops? <laughs> put my hair up in a rubber band in the back, put my flip-flops on and walk the aisle. Hey, hey, what's happening? Yeah, I do that. That's, that's cool. I'll do that. Those of you in here that I have performed your wedding, I haven't married any of you, but the ones I've officiated, when I looked at you, it was as good as it could get. Just go look at your married pictures. We got one. <laughs> Well, I couldn't get no better than that. I could shine it, shave it, and paint it. It couldn't make it any better, and that's the best I can do with it. <laughs> and my wife, the day she got married, I looked at her, and I, I can't get no better than that. That's the last time you'll see her. That made up. <laughs> but the point of it is, in closing, it's a picture that the Bible gives of somebody who is so sure that he's coming. I, I don't see him. He only said he was coming. And what he's looking for is not some average, complacent, indifferent woman. He's looking for somebody who will be thrilled at his coming, who just really, really wants him to come. And just, oh, I want him to look at me and go, whoa. That's what all these boys do and their wives come down the aisle. They're standing there beside me going, whoa. <laughs> Man. I have to say, shh. <laughs> God is good, isn't it? Bow your head with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless your word to your people's hearts. Ask you to continue to bless these young folks here that are getting this word down in their hearts. I pray that there would be that excitement, that anticipation that inward certainty that this is going to be even as it has been told them. That we would be truly delivered from all our fears. That we would learn to be content knowing that we're changing and we're going on. That we'd be delivered from fretting and crying and complaining and everything that has to do with doubt and unbelief, but we would begin to live like everything you're teaching us is true, that it is so. I ask you to bless all of them like that tonight. Bless those who watch this. Bless those who hear this. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.